I'm excited for you to hear this interview that I did with Ray Williams. I invited Ray as a guest on my podcast because Ray always speaks his mind in life and definitely in business. I thought it would be so helpful for him to share with us how, in his extensive career, he's been able to navigate the corporate waters and some of the interesting personalities that we find there while always managing to be candid and honest. There's so many other topics that come up as well, and I really hope you enjoy this interview. Well, welcome to My Lemonade Stand. Today, we're really happy to have Ray Williams as our guest. Absolute pleasure, and thank you for the invitation, Dion. Yes, well, thank you. So first, I want to introduce Ray and let you know he's a very good friend. But over and above that, he's also the Managing Director and Vice Chairman of Financial Markets for National Bank Financial. Ray has spent most of his career in capital markets, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, But equally um, impressive is is his strong commitment to his community. So both myself and Ray actually met through the Canadian Association of Urban Financial um, Professionals many, many moons ago. Um, And I know that today, Ray, in addition to the work that you continue to do for that organization, you're you're also a board member of 100 Strong and you're a co-founder and chair of the Black Opportunity Fund. And it's going to be interesting for us to get into some of those details this morning. But I wanted to start out with um, just talking about your career a bit. So you've spent most of your career in capital capital markets and you work for the largest banks in North America and the UK. So we know already that you have the technical skills, but tell us about some of the leadership skills that helped you to progress in your career, either leadership skills that you just had or things that you had to develop to help you to progress through your career. So so that's interesting. Um, So I would say that Communication is probably the biggest one. Uh, I've been I've been pointed out as Mr. Chatty Man on more than one occasion <laughs> because I do like to yeah I do like to engage people. I I you know um, I'm one of those people that I was very curious about who people are, where they're coming from, points of view, and so communication is really of paramount importance. And it's probably what's made me a half decent salesperson uh, over the many years. So I would say that is a fundamental aspect of a leadership skill um, that might have that might be foundational for success. But right. interesting, interestingly mm-hmm. enough, mm-hmm. I would say where I've garnered and gained the greatest amount of um, direction uh, to help create success in my business in my business world is actually in my in my work from a volunteer perspective, mm-hmm. because one of the things around leadership I found very early days, and you and I worked very closely together when I was president of the organization uh, way back in 2000, over 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, what I found and what I learned was that in order to create some degree of success, you had to ensure that those that you were working with bought into the notion of what you're working towards. And that was super important. Mm -hmm. And so there was a certain amount of humility that brought to the situation. It's like, you know, within within a workforce, if you're a boss, you can say, I need this done, I need this done. That person essentially has to get that done because it's going to be part of the assessment, appraisal, et cetera. When you're working and when you're engaged in a volunteer organization, 
notwithstanding the fact that you have a title within the organization, mm-hmm. you still have to convince people along the way with regularity until such time that there is comfort that you're all walking the same path. And I heard a phrase um, used uh, not too long ago, which I'm like, I think I'm one of those people. And the phrase was servant leader. Yeah. And I heard that. I was like, wow, that's a really interesting one. And I think when I think about it, I think that's my style. That is my style. Mm -hmm. I'm a servant. And so I would say I've taken some of that uh, approach from the volunteer uh, aspect and inoculated it into my professional arena. And I think that has actually been more helpful for me along the way in terms of creating success in my engagement and my communication with not only my peers, but my direct reports as well. Okay, nice. And yes, I can totally see that in terms of, um, in in reality, we actually, I don't actually think we can actually force people at work really to do what they need to do. I mean, there's performance management, there's all kinds of other things, but really the best way to get people to do things is like you said, get the buy-in, engage them, have them all be on the same team. And yes, I can totally see what you're saying in terms of the the um, community work. So then let's jump to the community work since you've already um, gone there. So being a busy professional as you are, um, under normal circumstances, you'd be on a plane like once a week. Yep. So wh- it, well, you kind of answered my question, which is I was going to say, um, why is it that you choose to be so engaged um, with your community work as opposed to doing something that might be more practical for somebody as busy as you are, which is, you know, writing a check, going to galas and stuff like that. But you don't do that. You take leadership roles and you actually get your hands dirty. So is it really that piece in terms of um, really the growth that you get in addition to the good work that those organizations are doing? Yeah, so it's an interesting combination, and you're, you're quite right. You, you could simply write the check. I mean, that's that's easy enough to do, and I do write a check as well. Uh, the difference is that I've found over the years, and, and it, I remember the very first time um, someone said something to me that made me sort of sit back and think was actually Marianne Chambers, and she made a statement which baffled me, and the statement was that volunteerism is its own reward. And I really didn't understand it at the time she made it. But then over a period of time, I started to understand what she uh, meant by that and the depth of the statement. So I think for me, participation is key. As you you may, again, you may remember, that was something that I was very, very keen on. I'm still very keen on. Um, Participation and engagement means that you're getting involved in a way that simply writing a check will never have you be involved, Mm -hmm. okay? And when you participate, the relationships you develop, the insights you gain, the understanding you walk away with, I think allows you uh, to become a more compassionate human being. And that's quite funny, especially for someone like myself, like, you know, many of the people who may have known me in my younger years say, Ray Williams, compassionate. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> but, but um, you know, I, I do believe I have become a more compassionate human being. I think I've become uh, more understanding. And maybe that's just simply a matter of age. But I think the participation and engagement with community goes an, an awfully long way to showing you perspectives and also, it has helped to keep me very grounded. You know, I'm the little black 
kid from the islands with my bare feet, you know, running around, you know, my raggy pants, etc. at age eight, nine, prior to going to the UK. And, you know, um, that was a time where my feet was firmly grounded in the soil. And I'd like to think to this day, uh, because of my ongoing engagement with community, that continues to allow me to be fully grounded uh, in the soil. Yeah, agreed. And actually, what I what I would also add from my my experience as well when we work together is it also gave me an opportunity to really stretch professionally as well because they when you you know when you're in a volunteer organization you don't have a marketing department and a communications team and the finance team like everybody kind of pitches in where they where they can and it really allowed me to stretch and do things that were outside of the scope of what I was doing professionally at the time. So Correct. that was a huge boost. So again, there are just so many benefits over and above the actual um, focus, which is doing whatever the mandate is of the organization. There's just so much more to be gotten. And then, of course, you have lifelong friends as well. That's another benefit that we have, right? So I've got to tell you, when you actually look at it, the value proposition is much larger than one might appreciate on the outset. And it's it's interesting because you, you brought back um, a couple of uh, memories for me around when people would ask, you know, so what, you know, what's in it for me joining NAUB, UFSC, CAUFP? And it's like, well, you know, you probably have a professional role, as you quite rightly pointed out, um, within the capacity of the work that you do. But, you know, the opportunity is there to add a bunch of soft skills to your CV around project management. You may not be a project manager, but guess what? When you get engaged with us, you will be uh, and you will be engaging in a way that will have it be that you have to deliver certain things to the organization and to community, and that involves planning and execution. And so you are actually getting experience in places and spaces that the work situation may not offer to you. You grow through these, right? So a lot of value inherent in the whole notion of undertaking and participating directly and supporting your community. And look, at the end of the day, it's, you know, it doesn't have to be your community specifically. We're all part of the wider community. So um, I've always expressed to people, it is important to find your passion. uh, And those are the areas that are really going to shine for you. However, build out where it is that you deliver um, kindness, charity, uh, and volunteerism. So, you know, uh, for me, yes, over the last number of years, it has been focused more on the Black community, where I I really feel I need to deliver. But in past years, it's been, you know, CPA Canada. It's been uh, the Canadian Foundation for AIDS Research. It's it's been just a whole bunch of organizations where I had the opportunity to help. I had the opportunity to possibly make a difference. And I think you know, along the way, I've walked away a person more fulfilled uh, with a lot more insight than I would have ordinarily. Okay, nice. So <clears throat> I can't speak to you without asking you about one signature trait of yours, which is being outspoken. So, <laughs> right. So one of the things that people could rely on with you is that they always know where they stand with you. You don't suffer fools. Um, and also in today's envir- work business environment where we talk so much, like the word candor is thrown around a lot and, and the value of candor. We also talk about people being able to show up at work 
as who they are, as opposed to having to try to pretend to be somebody that they're not. But again, given your long tenure, because now you're an elder in the business world, I can imagine that sometimes that would have worked out really well. And there might have been some times where it might not have worked out as well for you. Not everybody's happy to hear candid feedback. So I just also would like to, to hear, like, what's your perspective in terms of an effective way of always being honest and candid with your conversations and kind of staying out of hot water? Well, uh, <laughs> the two are not mutually exclusive. However, <laughs> based, on, based on personal experience, um, I would have to say that there are costs associated with being blunt, uh, with being candid, and with really just trying to maintain one's integrity. Um, I would like to think that uh, having worked in Bay Street for the last 31 years, uh, that there is a reason why I still have engagement with clients I knew 30 years ago who've moved up the ranks like myself. Uh, and that has to do with a sense of honesty and integrity that I carry. I don't like baggage. Uh, there is a cost to not liking baggage because I prefer to speak my mind and get it off my chest, as it were, and be able to go to bed more often than not without that baggage. But there are costs. Um, and so that that candor that sometimes comes through, um, notwithstanding the fact that it comes from an honest place, uh, not this, uh, you know, discounting the fact that hopefully what I'm stating is representative of what I think I see, and thus my truth, those who are on the receiving end may not necessarily be as appreciative, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. And it's especially so if it is someone in a position of power that has the ability to impact your career. And I can say quite honestly, it has an impact in my career um, along the way because of the fact that I speak my truth. Uh, ultimately, I think you have to have a degree of comfort with yourself around what the potential ramifications might be, recognizing that on occasion it will be negative, right? So I've had setbacks because of that. Um, if I was to provide any advice around how to balance that out and me, um, when I look back, I would say I should probably have spoken less, listened more. Mm-hmm. And take the opportunity to be very, very tactical and maybe a little bit more strategic around when and how I spoke. Because looking back, I would say there are occasions when I spoke out because it was comforting for me to speak out. But it may not necessarily have addressed or um, defined in any way the future conversation, i.e. get a result that based on you know the sacrifice you've just literally made, Right, and it, it it does end up being a sacrifice, as I mentioned, because there are uh, negative outcomes uh, sometimes for that. Mm-hmm. So I would say you have to be a little bit more balanced around how you speak out, uh, understand your audience, and understand whether or not you speaking out there and then is sufficiently meaningful and will have impact. So I think what I, I'm hearing you say is that sometimes you might have just been wanting to get something off your chest, and that's kind of a short-term goal, as opposed to taking a pause to figuring out, okay, where do I really want to go? What, where do I, where do I want this conversation to go? So kind of taking a bit of a pause. Correct. 
Yeah. Correct. And that's that's you know probably a reflection of my own uh you know impulsiveness in the past as well. Mm-hmm. You know, again, being a little bit older now, maybe not quite as impulsive, but um, you know, you are fundamentally who you are. And so uh it sometimes helps to have either someone around you who understands and recognizes your passion that can maybe put a little curb on that uh in yeah. terms of guidance. Yeah. Um and like I said, over time I've obviously learned through uh, maybe the hard way that speak out when it's important and it has the possibility of creating impact rather than speaking out simply because. Yes, but what you but, but it is very valuable, and I'm sure you're one of those people, and I'm sure you have some of those folks in your life where you know that when you talk to them, they're going to tell you the truth, and those mm-hmm. are invaluable folks. So it is it, it is still something that's very worthwhile pursuing. And you talked about maintaining your integrity and so forth. So there's a big upside. So it's just a matter of figuring out to frame how you're actually going to um, deliver your message. Correct. So, and then I wanted to, so anybody who follows you on Instagram knows that food plays a very large role in your life. And it seems like whenever you want to blow off some steam, seems like you head off to like a farmer's market or to a butcher shop (laughs) so that you could then whip up some amazing dishes. So am I interpreting correctly that um, cooking and food is is kind of your creative outlet and a way for you to kind of de-stress? I would say that's pretty accurate. I mean, so, you know, I have a fundamental belief that food is the glue that brings the world together. There's nothing more joyous than when you travel, breaking bread with people locally. And the other aspect of food within within a, a global perspective, there's all the amazing types of ingredients that are available, especially here now in Canada, right? I mean, when I look at the food scene from when I arrived 31 years ago, uh, you'd be hard-pressed even in Bay Street to find... Actually, you could not find a restaurant in Bay Street. You, I remember very clearly you had a wine bar, um, which was Vines on Wellington Street, which sort of very reminiscent of London, the city of London for me. Uh, over and above that, when you wanted to go out to dinner, uh, you'd go either Yorkville, King Street East, King Street West, but there's nothing in that actual Bay Street uh, three by four. And then along comes Jump, and then after that it's Aqua, then Canoe, and then suddenly you know we've we've got restaurants downtown. Yes, it's an but also yeah, mm-hmm. right. But what it also represents uh, is that the change in food scene in Canada, especially in the GTA, as you've had immigrants from different places arrive. So whether you want to talk about Ethiopian cuisine, Eritrean cuisine, uh, lots of similarities, Um, you know, more Lebanese uh, restaurants, um, you know, more Afghan restaurants, African restaurants uh, turning up in the city, Uh, the ubiquity of the patty. Now, you can get everywhere. The fact that there were very few Thai restaurants in 1990 when I arrived, and now supposedly every food court has Thai food, uh, which is quite interesting. But for me, I live out in Oakville. Mississauga is fantastic. On a Saturday morning, I can go out and I can, you know, uh, hit up uh, TNT, Nations, Little India, PAK, Korean food store, and on and on and on. And the joy of all of that is 
you go in and you see something that may be unspecial and looks different and you want to try it out and it's like, okay, you're going to form a meal around that for Sunday or whatever it might be. Uh, but the, the food component um, really has been a very important part of the balance in my life. And yes, it is probably one of the main stress relievers in my life because I could have the worst day on the planet. And if I go home and open the fridge and start pulling out ingredients, my wife often says, you know, well, there's nothing to eat. And, you know, half an hour later after chopping and the chopping itself is about, it's like just, it takes you away because now my head is into a space about, okay, I've got this, I've got this. What can I add to it? You know, what's what's the outcome here? And so it literally transports you. It's my happy place. It is my happy place. I love to grill. I love to cook. And probably um, when I look back, uh, inadvertently, I signed up. And I'm not sure it's inadvertent, but I signed up for George, for George Brown's College, a culinary arts program in the midst of the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. So between 2008 and 2011, I managed to um, do all the courses required to get my culinary arts program. And as you can imagine, that was a very ugly period of time for financial markets. Okay. But just the joy of looking forward to putting on my whites on a Saturday or Sunday and going for four hours into uh, a kitchen where you've been taught different uh, aspects of food and then coming away with amazing meals. Uh, it was a truly joyous thing. And to this day, I'm thankful for it. But more importantly is let's get back in the air again because there are so many places that are still on my to-do list. Uh, you know, my, my, my vacations are tend to be now um, from a number of perspectives. It is food, cultural, wine. Let's find the location and let's go and discover it. Very nice. And I'd imagine, because you said that that happened at that period of time when you got got your um, certification um, through George Brown, I would imagine that that actually enhances all the other parts of your life as well, because, you know, you have a bad day. I'm sure you're not the most pleasant. I'm not the most pleasant person. I come home after having a bad day. But it's the, something that flips the squ- switch and all of a sudden your family life is about this great meal or, and stuff like, and then of course, I can see how those can also factor into now you're refreshed when you go back at it. You're not right. worn down as you were at the end of the day, you're coming back with a fresh attitude because you've been able to re-energize and refill your gas tank, so to speak. Yeah. So look, one of the things I had to learn in the early nineties, in the early nineties, um, Early mid nineties, I traded on the CIBC swap desk, and we went through some ugly times uh, back then. Uh, my daughter would have been three and a half, almost four, and uh, we're, we we had a son at that point in time. Yeah, yeah, because there are three years between my children. What I was trying to get at is that you know I've been through a number of ugly markets, and there was a lot of ugly stuff happening circa ninety four into ninety five. Uh, Procter and Gamble, just a whole bunch of ugly stuff. And as a derivatives trader, dealing with futures, swaps, etc., a lot of stress. And one of the things I had to learn was that when I went home, my eldest, Kelsey, would rush to the door and grab her daddy. And so it didn't matter what had gone on in my day. I had to uh, recognize that this child was just pure joy, etc., so I made a habit of actually, before I stepped into the house, 
wiping my feet a number of times. And it was a way of making a statement about leaving the grime, the ugly, and other aspects of what had whatever had happened during the day at the front doorstep. So that when I stepped into my life and stepped into my children, uh, etc. Didn't always work, but it was something that I chose to do, recognizing who I was and recognizing that I cannot bring uh, the stresses and pressure uh, into the house. And so I really, I really talk about work at home uh, simply because that, you know, of that situation. Nice. Well, thank you so much, uh, Ray, for sharing your wisdom, your ideas, your tips, your stories with us today. This is really a great treat. And um, I look forward to being invited to one of these meals that I keep seeing popping up on my Instagram feed. So <laughs> I'll cross well, my fingers for that. Well, it's it's definitely there. You know, it's always been an open invitation. And I do remember <laughs> you also suggested to me that uh, maybe I sort of hold a, a barbecue class or something of that nature. So you that know, would be awesome. maybe, we'll, maybe we'll, we'll mix a match. Yes, sounds good. All right. Well, thank you, Ray. Thank you so much, Dion. Always a pleasure to see you. All right. Take care. Bye, bye for now. If you enjoyed that interview, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, My Lemonade Stand. You can also stream it off of your favorite podcast streaming platform. Looking forward to seeing you next time.